Good evening, I'm Bruce McLean, and I want to welcome you to Christ Community Church, and especially our Wednesday night Summer of Psalms. Tonight, we're going to look at Psalm 90, and if you would get your Bibles and turn there, and I'll just give an introductory story to begin with. Uh, it was many years ago that uh, Christ Community Church, I think we were going to go to Uganda on a short-term mission trip, and Tom Mason, our leader, piled us in a van and took the group out to the Mojave Desert. And out there, there was a place called Schmidt's Tunnel. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a tourist attraction today. But there was a man about the turn of the century that began to mine, and it was quite difficult to take the ore, the gold, around the mountain. So he decided he would dig a tunnel and save time and go through the mountain. So all by himself, he began to dig. Uh, he dug for like 20 years, and then a highway was built, Highway 14, that kind of made the tunnel obsolete but he kept digging for 38 years. That was his life's accomplishment, Burrow Schmidt, at called Schmidt's Tunnel today, and you can go see it today. Think about that. Uh, the man wasted his life on a tunnel that went to nowhere, that serves no purpose, uh, just to be a tourist attraction someday. And tonight, our psalm, Moses, the man of God, wants the children of Israel, and even us today, to number their days, to make those days count for God's kingdom, for God's glory, not to waste a life, not to waste a day, a week, a month, a year, but to use them for God's purpose, for God's kingdom and God's glory. Uh, before we read three things, it says in our, right above our verse one, it says it's book four. And book four may correspond to the book of Numbers. Uh, there's five books in Psalms and five books in the Pentateuch. And Psalms 90 may well have been written about events in Numbers 20, and I'll talk about that more later. And then Psalms 105 and 106 definitely are about the children of Israel wandering in the desert. Uh, the superscription says, Moses, the man of God. I'm sorry, it says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. You know that there are five Psalms that are called prayers, uh, three of them by David, Psalm 17, Psalms 86, and Psalms 142 are all called Prayers of David. And then there's Psalms 102, which is anonymous. We don't know who wrote Psalms 102, but it's called a prayer. And then this is a Psalm by Moses, which is called a prayer. And you see that especially, uh, the plea or the urgent prayer in verses 12 to 17 especially, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, this is probably written about 1400 BC, before the children of Israel are about to go in the Promised Land. Um, it's definitely the oldest psalm of the 150, uh, but it's not the only poetry that Moses wrote interesting. Moses loved poetry, God loves poetry, and we should love Hebrew poetry translated into English. And that's why I encourage everybody to read one psalm a day. Uh, Moses wrote Exodus 15, called the Song of Moses, after the miraculous, uh, the children of Israel going through the Red Sea on dry land. And Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 to 43, is also a poem reminding the children of Israel of their past uh, sins and rebellions. So Moses wrote three uh, poems, but only Psalm 90 is a psalm. Uh, it also says, the man of God. Uh, this is used 70 times in the Old Testament, and usually for the prophets. And Deuteronomy 33, verse 1 says, This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, Bless the people of Israel before his death. Let's read it, and we'll pray, and we'll look at the outline. Psalms 90, verse 1. 
Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and it's with excitement that we are going to look at this psalm tonight. Open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in your law. May we leave here tonight knowing more of you and your greatness and knowing what your servants are to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have uh, received an email with the outline, but just in case you didn't, I'll uh, show it real quickly. Um, Psalms 90, and the title is, Teach Us to Number Our Days. The main idea of this psalm is that Moses asks that the people be taught to number their days in light of God's attributes and man's frailty. We have four points, God's eternality, verses 1 to 2, man's frailty, verses 3 to 6, God's wrath, verses 7 to 11, God's grace, verses 13 to 17, and you notice we left out verse 12, which will be the application conclusion at the end. Well, let's get into number one, God's eternality. Uh, think about this for a moment. We don't know exactly when this uh, psalm was written, but if this psalm was written before Moses wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, then we might be studying, reading the very first scripture ever written, recorded through the power of the Holy Spirit through, and written through Moses, Psalms 90. Uh, I can't be dogmatic about that, and some may argue Job was written for the Pentateuch, but it's quite possible that this is the oldest scripture ever recorded. So what's the first thing Moses wants us to know? That God is eternal, that He is from everlasting to everlasting. And we have two subpoints: God is our dwelling place, and God our eternal God. Number one, God is our dwelling place. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The first word is Lord, and it's one, I think, of the four names of God that we'll see in this psalm, Adonai. And it's just a, it's used 55 times in the Psalms, and it's just a reverent way of addressing God. And he says that, that God has been their dwelling place. Remember, the children of Israel have wandered for 38 years all over the Sinai province now. 
They don't have a home. They never had a home. They're about to get one in the promised land. But despite never having a home, God has always been their dwelling place. Psalms 91.9 says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. Quite often this word for dwelling place is translated refuge. So God was the children of Israel's dwelling place, their refuge, and He is ours. He says in all generations. Now commentators will debate in the Bible how long a generation is. But remember that one entire generation of the children of Israel has passed away and a new generation has come, those that were under the ages of 20 before they sinned. And they're about, the new generation is about to enter the promised land. So Moses is saying generations come, generations go, but our eternal God is our dwelling place. Point two, God, our eternal God. He says something very important. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is another name here in verse 2 for God. El Olam. And it's first used in the book of Genesis. Genesis 21, verse 33, by Abraham. And that, that uh, we won't turn there, but I'll read it. It says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And you probably remember that very famous section of Scripture, Isaiah 40, verses 27 uh, on. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, Elolam, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. So here in Psalms 90, Moses is going to teach us what we were studying these past few weeks in Genesis. And Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no uh, explanation of where God began or where God came from. It just says, in the beginning, God always existed according to Genesis 1.1. And here in Psalm 90, Moses is going to go on to say that God existed before the mountains were born. He says God existed before the earth was created. God existed throughout eternity past, and God will exist through eternity future. God has been in existence uh, right from eternity past, and He will continue right into exist right into eternity future. God has no beginning. God has no end. He is called the Alpha and the Omega. Moses, who saw the backside of God, Moses, who spoke to God face to face, uh, unlike any other prophet, knew God intimately. And he wants, the first thing he wants us to know is this God is eternal. Many of the older folks at Christ Community Church uh, would remember Isaac Watts' hymn that is, is our God, our help in ages past. By the way, that, that hymn is often sung at funerals. And this Psalm 90 is quite often read at funerals. But the very first line, I'll just read it, says, Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Probably written from Psalms 90, verses 1 and 2. Now, let's move on to point two. Moses emphatically states that God is eternal. And now he's going to emphatically state that man is frail. And we have three subpoints here that uh, man is finite, God is infinite, and God subjects man to death. Moses is going to state that God controls man's days, and then he turns him back into dust. 
Now, I mentioned that Psalms 90 can best be understood in the reading of Numbers 20. What happened in Numbers 20? I'll just paraphrase it quickly because we don't have time to turn there tonight. But in Numbers 20, three main things happened. Number one, Miriam died. All it says is, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Miriam died, Moses' sister, and I'm sure he was very sad about that. Number two, you all know the story of Moses' disobedience. God tells Moses to speak to the rock. Moses loses his temper, he disobeys God, and he strikes the rock. And because that one act of disobedience, he will be barred from entering the promised land. God uh, takes sin seriously, and Moses would feel the consequences of that. Number three, Aaron dies in verses 22 to 29 of Numbers 20. It says Aaron dies, and they mourn for a month. So again, you have a sad loss for Moses as he had worked with Miriam and uh, Aaron, and, and Moses would be denied going into the promised land. So I'll, I'll mention more about that in a minute. So if Moses is reflecting on the sad events that happened in Numbers 20, it will cause him to write this paragraph of the frailty of man. And first off, he says that man is finite. He says, you return man to dust. Moses may be reflecting here on the death of Aaron and Miriam and how fleeting our lives are. It says that God created man out of dust, Genesis 2, 7, and he will return man to dust, Genesis 3, 19. God controls human life. The sovereign God of the universe determines the number of our days. Daniel 5.23 says, Our breath is in God's hands. He could take it away any time. And then Moses quotes God here like a command saying, Return, O children of man. This is a command that God will ultimately give every person who is born. Every living being who ever lived on earth is subject to death. Remember, Moses saw over one million of the children of Israel die. He's quite acquainted with death and the frailty of man and how limited our life is and how short it is. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The eternal God can order our return to dust at any time. Then Moses says in verse 4 that God is infinite contrasting to the finality and frailty of man. He says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You may say, wait a minute, I've heard that in the New Testament. Yes, Peter would quote this verse, Psalms 90 verse 4, in 2 Peter verse 3.8. And Peter would say, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Moses likens a thousand years of human history to a mere 24 hours for God. And he also says that a thousand years for man is like a short three-hour watch for a guard in the night. This is so uh, mind-boggling, so hard to comprehend, but uh, Grisham Meekham said something, and I'll just read what he says. And he says, time has no meaning for him, meaning God save in connection with the creatures that he has made. When God created time is when he created finite creatures. God himself is beyond time. To God himself, all things are equally present. There's no such thing as before or after 
to God. See, God transcends man within time. Man is limited by time. So Moses' point here is not that time passes quickly for God, but rather that it passes quickly for us. Subpoint uh, three, God subjects man to death, verses five to six. Moses is going to use three metaphors here. The flood, a dream, and grass to describe death. First off, he says, man's death is described as a flood that sweeps away life, like one of those floods that come down in the wash uh, after a dry season and just wipes everything away. Then he says, it's like a dream that sweeps man away. You know, you have your dream and you forget it and it's gone. It's like our life. And then he spends quite a bit of time talking about grass. He says, God cuts down man like grass. Remember, Moses would spend 40 years in the desert uh, uh, after 40 years in Egypt, and then he spent another 40 years wandering in the desert. So he would know about that desert grass that in the morning dew that would come up, and then by nightfall with the heat that would wither away, quite familiar with grass. Uh, I like what one commentator said. Here is the history of grass, sown, blown, mown, and gone, and the history of man is not much more. We are like the grass. So Moses makes it clear that God's eternal, everlasting, everlasting, but man's life is brief. Let's move on to point three, God's wrath. Moses has contrasted the uh, eternality of God with the frailty of man. And in this section, Moses is going to show that it's man's sin that provokes the anger of God. And you know, I don't think we preach enough on the anger or the wrath of God anymore. I mentioned last week perhaps the most famous or greatest sermon that helped spark a revival uh, in the history of America was a sermon by Reverend Jonathan Edwards in July of 1742 called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Let me just read you a brief section. Now remember, when Jonathan Edwards preached this, he wasn't shouting and yelling like we imagined him to. He, just, he read his sermons very monotone, but it caused a revival because people were pricked in the heart by the Holy Spirit and their sin and the pending wrath of God. But one paragraph he says, The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and grow. Another preacher uh, recently said, Ray Comfort, probably familiar with him, he said, it is amazing that we hesitate to talk about the wrath of God for fear of making sinners feel fearful. The fear they feel this side of the grave will be nothing compared to the fear they feel when they stand before an almighty God. So let's talk about the wrath of God and what Moses says. Four subpoints. Moses says God judges man's sin. God exposes man's sin. God shortens man's life. And God exceeds man's understanding. First off, God judges man's sin, verse 7. I want you to notice in this section, verses 7 to 11, that the word anger is twice in verse 7 and verse 11. And the word wrath is used three times, verse 7, verse 9, and verse 11. So five times we have the indignation, the hot anger of God in this section. 
If Moses is writing the Psalms, perhaps he's remembering what happened to him in Psalms 20, I'm sorry, Numbers 20, where he struck the rock and he felt the indignation and wrath and the penalty of his sin that he would not be allowed to enter the promised land. So Moses says that we are consumed by God's anger. He says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. The wrath of God uh, will bring us to an end. The children of Israel sinned when they doubted God's promise to enter Canaan, and they provoked the wrath of God, and everyone over the age 20 would die. Only Joshua and Caleb, of over 603,000 men, would enter the promised land. Not Moses, not Aaron, not Miriam, just Joshua and Caleb. And the Bible tells us that because Adam sinned, we all sinned, and that we fall under the wrath of God and its punishment. Moses also says that we're dismayed by the wrath of God. By your wrath we are dismayed. J.I. Packard uh, uh, describes the wrath of God as this. God's wrath is His righteousness reacting against our unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The word revealed in Romans 1.18 means constantly revealed. Now, we take the wrath of God for granted. God, um, he, you know, he destroyed the world by a flood. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, in the New Testament, he killed Ananias and Sapphira for lying. But we don't think, we don't preach enough about the wrath of God. And only by His great mercy and grace does He spare us when we don't sin. So let's go into point two. God exposes man's sin. Uh, Subpoint two in verse eight. He says, You have set our iniquities before us, before you. God has set our sins before him. We can't hide any sin. Not even a little sin can we hide. Hebrews 4:13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight. We are all naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give account. So not only are our iniquities set for God, someday we're going to have to give an account before them. You can't hide your sins. Uh, I mentioned Ananias and Sapphira, example, thought they could hide their lie and they were exposed for it. But, and he also says that God has set our sins in his light. He says in verse 8, and our secret sins in the light of your presence. There's no such thing as secret sins. Oh, I don't know your sins. You don't know mine. But God knows those things that we are, think they are secret and hidden. John 8, 12 says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And that light exposes man's sin. The Word of God exposes man's sins. Someone said, secret sins in earth are an open scandal in heaven. Subpoint three, God shortens man's life, verses 9 and 10. Because of sin, our life is lived under the wrath of God. He says, for all of us pass away under your wrath. All of our lives are lived under the curse and the death penalty that sin. He even says that life is finished with a moaning. We finish our life with a, a moaning, a sigh, and we think we know that's true. And then Moses says these very famous verses that our life is basically short and brief. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. 
Remember before the flood, Methuselah lived 969 years. After the flood, Abraham would live 175 years, Isaac would live 180 years, and then it would start to go down. Jacob, 147 years, Joseph, 110 years, Moses himself would live 120 years, and then Joshua would live 110 years. Moses was on spot. He wrote this 3,500 years ago. But if you Google average lifespan of a U.S. citizen, it's about 78.9 years, so almost 79 years. So right between 70 and 80, Moses had it right for us, written 3,500 years ago. So not only is our lifespan short, 70, 80 years, and remember to contrast this into the eternality of God eternal, he says that life of 70 or 80 years is filled with trouble. Their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. And doesn't that remind you of the same thing that Job 5.7 says? But man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. And then the fourth subpoint, he says that God uh, exceeds man's understanding in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger? and your wrath according to the fear of you. God's anger is, is almost beyond man's understanding. Do we really understand the wrath of God? Do we actually take to heart the intensity of the wrath of God? Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. You know, and perhaps only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can understand the full wrath of God because He felt it when He hung on the cross and God poured out His wrath on His Son. You know, I just want to take time here today. If there's one person out there that's unsure of their salvation, if there's one person here today that doesn't fear the wrath of God, or one person who does fear the wrath of God, listen to what Dr. James Kennedy said. He said, God is holy, and we are sinful, and that's the problem. And if that were all there were to it, the problem, God would simply solve it and send us to hell. But God is also loving, and infinitely so. And because He loved us, He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, in the world, and He imputed or laid upon Jesus Christ our sins and guilt, and God poured out all His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ. Body and soul suffered infinitely in our behalf and paid the penalty for our sin. The problem for you is very simple. Your sins are going to be punished by God. The question is, are they going to be punished by you in hell or by Jesus Christ on the cross? The choice is yours. If you would prefer the latter, you need to abandon all trust in yourself, repent of your sins, and receive Jesus Christ into your life as the only hope of salvation. And God's promise is that he who trusts in me has everlasting life. Now we're going to skip verse 12 and then we're going to come back to it at the end. Let's look at point four. We've talked a lot a little bit about the wrath of God and if it were not for the wrath of God we could die and spend eternity in hell. But now comes the plea, now comes the prayer in this psalm from Moses, God's grace, verses 13 to 17. Moses is going to conclude our psalm with four points and a plea for God's compassion. Someone has said that only those who understand or are aware of the wrath of God 
can be amazed by the grace of God. And this is beautiful here. Four things. Number one, he says, grace us, God. He says, Lord, return, O Lord, how long? He's basically saying, have pity on the children of Israel, O God. They have suffered for 40 years in the desert. They are now about to embark upon the promised land. So Moses pleads that the discipline, the punishment be over, and that times of blessing come. You know, I, I love the, the uh, acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Moses is saying, return, O Lord. Here we have the name Yahweh for the Lord. And Moses is crying out to God, to Yahweh, to change his mind. He goes on to say, have pity on your servant. Uh, Psalms 86, 6 says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. You know, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament because I believe it clearly teaches that we will escape the ultimate, the worst of the wrath to come. It says, And to wait from His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. How are we delivered by the wrath of God? By the grace of God when we believe in Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that, It is by grace you have been saved by faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's only by grace. So Moses is saying to the children of Israel, Grace us, give us mercy, have pity on us. He also says in verse 14 to 15, Satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning. Moses is crying out to God, give us a new day. Bring us a new day of grace. Uh, may the, the days of anger and discipline be over as, as the children of Israel enter the promised land. Remember Psalms 30 verse 5, that beautiful verse says, But God's anger is but a moment, but His favor is a lifetime. Weeping may tarry the night, but joy comes in the morning. He says, uh, God, we've suffered for 40 years of disobedience. Give us new days. Uh, satisfy us with new days of joy and gladness. And I think the children of Israel had that when they entered the promised land. He also says in verse 16, enlighten us. He says, let your work be shown to your servants. Uh, display that glorious power of yours, God, to the children of Israel. Moses says, show us your works. Show us your splendor. The work God here uh, denotes primarily the establishment of the children of Israel going in the promised land. Very soon the children of Israel would cross the Jordan River, uh, the walls of Jericho would be torn down, and the children of Israel, although inferior in number, would destroy the seven greater nations in Cana and conquer the promised land. So he's saying, enlighten us, show us your power. Fourthly, he says, and very beautifully, establish us in verse 17. He says, uh, let the favor of the Lord be upon us. And two times he says, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses is asking that God's favor, and this is how he ends the prayer, God's favor rest upon the children of Israel. Here he uses the fourth name of God that I can find in this psalm. Elohim means majesty or mighty one. Moses reminds the children of Israel that they have the future set before them, as we do. He wants them to do something good in the promised land. In fact, Moses says it's required of the children of Israel, it's required of us to do something good. That we should do God's work and we should do it well. Our lives have meaning, Moses says. 
we are to be a blessing for others. You know, when this COVID's over and we can get back to small groups and prison ministry and door to door and all the mission trips, I hope you'll be ready. I'll pray that God pray that God will establish our work here at Christ Community Church. As long as we're here on earth, we're required to do something for his kingdom and glory. Now let me finish with the verse I skipped, verse 12. This is our conclusion. This is our application. So teach us to number our days. Give us a heart of wisdom. I don't know if you were here with Christ Community Church around the year 2000 when it began. Remember Y2K and we all thought our phones and computers wouldn't work. Do you remember the very first message that Pastor Lance Sparks preached at Christ Community Church? It was on January 2nd, the year 2000. It was a message called Meditations for a Millennium. 20 years ago, do you remember? Uh, what verse did Lance use? Psalms 90, verse 12. Uh, and what Moses said 3,500 is so powerful, so convicting for us today. We need to understand how fleeting our lives contrast to the eternality of God. We're going to die unless Jesus comes and takes us home, and I hope he does. But we're going to die if that doesn't happen or God tarries. And uh, it, we need to seek God's holiness. We need to understand how fleeting, how finite our lives are in contrast to God's eternality. And we need to live each day for God. We need to make each day count because we don't have that many left. I'm not a young man anymore. And I need to, to make the rest of my life uh, knowing that I could, I could go home any day. And if we do that, if we number our days, Moses says, give us a heart of wisdom how to live those days. Because our life is brief, we need to live each day for God. John Stott says, the brevity of life should constrain us, should, should make us get a heart of wisdom, namely to make God our refuge and find rest in His love and fruitful under His blessing. Man needs a heart of wisdom. Us believers need a heart of wisdom to be careful not to waste a day of our life. Remember Burrow Schmidt in his worthless tunnel that went to nowhere? 38 years he wasted his life. Let's not waste a day, a week, a month, a year. Let's, all of us here at Christ Community Church, do good works that God has prepared for us in the eternity past. Do them for His kingdom and glory. I'll just close with Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17, parallels this verse. And it says, Let, Look carefully, then how you should walk. Walk is our daily walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of our time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that we walk with God, that we only have so many days left to live, and that we use God's wisdom, that we get a heart of wisdom, we pray for wisdom, and that we help advance God's kingdom, God's glory here on earth in the time that we have. As Moses finished this psalm, he must have reflected on that his days were almost over. The days were just beginning for those young children of Israel. I look forward to seeing you next week as we look at Psalms. Thank you for being with us today.